The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Apple sales declined for the second straight quarter, but shares rise in extended trade as the iPhone maker beats on the top and bottom lines. The CEO Tim Cook claiming results were better than we expected. Wall Street trades in the red for a fourth consecutive session, with the Dow turning negative for the year as contagion fears are reignited in the regional banking sector. Yeah, talking of banks, PacWest falls to a fresh record low and pulls the rest of the sector with it as regulators reportedly probe market manipulation amid signs the crisis has further to run. And HSBC bosses are preparing for their AGM amid pressure from the lender's biggest shareholder to restructure and spin off its Asian business. And still, still talking of banks, ECB, that's quite a big one, hikes rates by another 25 basis points with inflation still proving sticky. President Christine Lagarde reiterates the central bank's commitment to fighting price pressures. Based on the information we have today, we have more ground to cover and we are not pausing. That's extremely clear. big story has been Apple in the overnight session as Apple reported better than expected second quarter earnings powered by a surprise boost in iPhone sales and unveiled $90 billion in share buybacks and dividends. The tech giant also forecast revenue growth at similar levels to March, giving shares a lift in extended trade. Breaking down by category, iPhone sales remain the core component of Apple's revenue growth, rising 1.5% year-over-year to $51 billion, thanks in part to the sale of its high-end iPhone Pro models. Meanwhile, revenues from Apple's key services business, which include Apple Pay, iCloud and Apple Television, Apple TV, rose 5.5% to nearly $21 billion. Arjun has been pouring through the detail. I just want to pick up on the iPhones first up because it sounds like a very low level as we talk about this growth of 1.5% for Apple. But you compare that to the rest of the smartphone segment. And effectively, what are we seeing? Global or shipments falling 13% in the first three months of this year. So it seems to be beating the marketplace still. Yeah, Apple to me feels like another one of these tech stories we've been talking about this earnings season where expectations go into this have been so low. The market was expecting bad numbers in certain areas like Macs, like iPads. Uh, But I think what it does speak to is why investors still love this company. And that is the stickiness of the iPhone, is the stickiness of the broader Apple ecosystem. As you mentioned, the overall market is seeing some of its worst numbers uh, in terms of shipments in a number of years. So in that context, a a little bit of growth in iPhone is certainly good enough uh, against that backdrop. And on top of that, you look at the services business that managed to grow both quarter on quarter and year on year again in an environment where advertisers are cutting ad bucks. Uh, You're also thinking about consumers perhaps not spending as much as well. Apple continues to show that their customers are willing to pay up the premium for these, uh, these high-end smartphones and continue to spend on the variety of services companies offers. And I think that's basically what this report was about. We 
Go on. There's an element of a consumer pulling back in these numbers, though, for me and Apple. Don't forget, a huge consumer company. We call it a technology company, but it's also a test of how the consumer is faring and why don't you see too much of a hit on iPhone sales? Well, we all know that there are these subscription deals and you're not paying up front. But the other parts of the business where perhaps you are paying up front for the Macs, uh, for the iPads, for the wearables, you did see slippage there. And I do wonder whether that, again, is giving us the sense that the consumer might be getting a little bit maxed out. Yeah, uh, certainly the, there's uh, elements of that. You also have to factor in, I think, some of the, the boom they saw in the pandemic in terms of comparing the, the Mac and iPad sales. But there is certainly a bit of that fatigue, I think. Also, with, with smartphones, yes, again, there was iPhone growth, but it wasn't blockbuster. It wasn't stellar in, in any way. So there is a bit of fatigue with the consumer. I think uh, you're seeing a number of trends happening in the smartphone market. One is that people are holding on to their phones f- for, for longer. And you're seeing these companies, Samsung and Apple and others, push pulling out with sort of uh, deals to get people to upgrade early upgrades finance deals etc and so that's helping somewhat but there is a, there is an element of I think fatigue you're right Karen in those numbers so was that the point you were going to make on the consumer no. different point yeah. okay we'll save we've for the guess. question we've got Jeff Fieldhack with us who is a research director counterpoint technology research Jeff thank you very much for joining us this is uh, the big ticket for tech where as we take a look at the Apple numbers just give us the key points that really jumped out to you yeah, um, as the discussion was going, it was very uh, uh, positive uh, iPhone numbers with the uh, global market down about 14% in the March quarter and Apple, uh, one of the uh, only only Huawei and Apple grew. And uh, so that was, yeah, uh, lots of companies with high inventories, China market down. There were lots of uh, negative uh, handset OEMs and yeah, Apple bucked the trends and it was very positive. Um, the other key item is the growing ASPs. So the last three years that there's been growth to those pro and pro max, uh, um, SKUs and Apple's done a good job of differentiating that and pushing consumers to those higher priced, uh, iPhone SKUs. Uh, Jeff, I just want to jump in here and just pick up on on the China point because uh, we saw sort of revenues decrease around 25% quarter on quarter. This was supposed to be uh, the time when that pent-up demand was released in China given the opening up uh, of the country from some of those uh, tough COVID restrictions. Uh, Why hasn't that necessarily filtered through to Apple numbers? Is there sort of a a bit of uh, wariness still in terms of the consumer in China? Is this an Apple-specific issue? No, definitely not an Apple-specific uh, uh, issue. Uh, yeah, China market previously was a 400 million a year market. Uh, there's very uh, little free, um, you know, feature phone to smartphone switchers, and also what we've seen since the opening up of the China market, there's been lots of spending on travel and you know this pent-up savings, but it really hasn't. Um, been a lot of spending on smartphones. It's been other other items, and I think there's still some uncertainties about the job market there. So uh, overall, the smartphone market has not uh, picked up, and if it picks up two percent off of a very weak 2022, uh, that would that would surprise us. Uh, Jeff, um, good evening to you, I should say, in Colorado. Um, I, I thought the SaaS revenue, the services revenue, was showing a 
a really worrying trend. If a year ago you're growing at 17% and now you're only growing at 5.5%, it's not too far to extrapolate negative growth if it carries on like this. Um, they've got a problem there, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, there, there's also problems. Uh, Macs down 30% plus and uh, iPads and there the, some other hardware areas. Uh, definitely the spending is not there. So that probably equates to a slowing in consumers uh, adding uh, more, more services. You know, this could pick up again as spending and consumer spending increases in 2024 and beyond. Uh, but certainly, yeah, that, that is a pressure on, on Apple. But, but it's, it's, it's the margin on services. The margin is pretty much double what it is on hardware. And if that's falling off aggressively, then presumably they've got to go back into the uh, a more competitive uh, environment. You know, people are cutting strum their streaming services, for instance. So Apple Plus is going to be under even more pressure as well. We talk about the pressure that Disney Plus is on. Apple Plus must be an enormous pressure as well. Yeah, uh, true. However, we are seeing, um, for example, insurance, the Apple, uh, you know, plans uh, for insuring devices, cloud services, uh, music, some of the other areas, our estimates are still actually growing. And, you know, it was an incredible stat that Apple stated every region and every, uh, every, um, you know, of their hardware um, categories increased uh, or set record installed bases. So, you know, there, there is some pressure, but there's also some positives in there. And with uh, an economy and less headwinds, uh, you know, that, that spending certainly will pick up since the, the iPhone sales have not been decreasing. And uh, that, that was a, a positive and, and uh, continues to be a flywheel for Apple. Yeah, so Jeff, by and large, you, you sound to us like you're relatively positive still on this stock going forward. But do you think the offsets are sufficient here to counter some of the weakness we're talking about in the Chinese market? Yeah, I think so. And one of the reasons is uh, the the young consumer, Gen X, usually uh, the new consumers like to be different, like different things. And the gens, the the new young people love the Apple brand more uh, more than ever. So that's a big positive for them. B two B opening up to BYOD and more open to Apple devices. And then finally, uh, the secondary market. This is opening up uh, emerging markets where maybe ASPs are too low or Apple ASPs are are too high for significant volumes. That's increasing the installed base, and those could be future new product buyers. So, uh, yeah, I am very positive still, especially on the iPhone side. Uh, There's been a lot of excitement around Apple's expansion into India with the new stores. Uh, Tim Cook saying on the earnings call, they set a quarterly record in, in India, seeing strong double-digit growth. Uh, what is your outlook in terms of the Indian market? Will it be bigger than China for Apple? Oh, no, not, not for some time. Um, you know, Apple share over the last few years went from 1% to 6%. And granted, the India market's about, uh, it's a, a little larger than the U.S. market, 
but still Apple's share there is 6% where, for example, it's, um, you know, about 50% in the U.S. market and uh, that. So, no, it'll be some time before the India market uh, takes over the China market. Um, may, I think what the comments there were, were more about the excitement about uh, manufacturing in the India market. And, uh, you know, hopefully, I think Apple's also hoping that there will be more repair uh, within the secondary market and uh, just, uh, yeah, more more um, um, app generation in the market there. So I, I don't think it's so much about selling iPhones yet, although the growth there is tremendous. About how the stock is now considered, it's outperformed Wall Street so far this year, but not exactly considered a growth stock because of the lack of innovation in recent years. Why would you hold Apple at this point? Yeah, well, we don't really track the, the, the we don't have a target price or, or that, but we do track hardware and their services and uh, that they're bucking the trends with such a down smartphone market and they're an outlier there. Um, you know, future services, a new XR device, um, you know, who, who knows, maybe they get into satellite. The commercials about people being saved in rural areas during car crashes or lost in the mountains, they could do something there. Uh, they have an internal being or working on an inter, internal modem. So there, there are a couple other uh, new areas uh, that will take certain certainly take time. But uh, over the next three years, there will be some new uh, market opportunities. And this goes beyond iPhones. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. Jeff Fieldhack with us, Research Director, Counterpoint Technology Research. And just to the point around innovation, I mean, you've been looking at all the other devices on the lineup. We haven't seen much from the iPhone in recent years, right? How does it compare to some of the other big ones out there and the sort of new specifications coming to market? Yeah, there's certainly, you see, when Apple brings out devices, they're never really first to market with a lot of things. And, and But they're, they're, their technology usually is good enough for its user base. Example, my mum, when she wants to upgrade, I'll say, why don't you look at a different phone? She'll say, no, I know what to do with an iPhone. I know how it works. And that is basically really what, what this business is about. A, a, a sturdy, uh, well-known product. Yes, they have their pro models, and, and et cetera, for, for those who perhaps want a higher specification. But, but on the whole, they just have a user base that continues to buy into the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. The wow factor that I saw when I was at Mobile World Congress was the, the folding screen where you can have you know, the real estate on the front that's used as a, a screen. You open it up and you get two sides as well. Mm. Fantastic for watching movies and, and watching yeah. short video content. That's not something that Apple's done at this point, right? So you wonder whether that's the innovation. Is that what Apple tries to do a little bit better, maximize the real estate well, that you you've got on the device? You often see with Apple, they'll sort of look at what's happening in the market. They were sort of so behind with moving to, say, like OLED screens on their phones, whereas some of the competitors were doing that for years. And they often look at the market and say, well, is there a market? for this and with folding phones it still sort of hangs in the balance we don't know how big this market's going to be it's a very niche product so I, I reckon Apple's looking at it and saying well you know this certainly looks like innovation but actually is this a product we can bring to market at good margins and also uh, one that we feel can scale across millions and millions of users and I think there's still question marks around that for the All right, folding lovely. Thank you both. Uh, thank you, Arjun. You'll be back later, I'm sure. Um, also, coming up on the show, we're going to speak to Emily after the break because HSBC is fighting to keep, its, to keep it together, keep itself together, really. Um, staring down activist pressure. It's not the worst, right? It's activist. It's the biggest shareholder, isn't it? At today's AGM, we'll get a preview next.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. U.S. officials are reportedly looking at whether market manipulation is behind the recent turmoil in banking stocks. Both federal and state regulators are scrutinizing trading patterns after the American Bankers Association called on the SEC to investigate, according to Reuters. The White House says it's monitoring, quote, short-selling pressures on healthy banks. Shares of PacWest sank after the regional lender confirmed it is exploring strategic options, including a potential sale. Stocks of other peers, including Western Alliance and Zion's Bancorp, were also dragged lower. Meanwhile, Tennessee-based First Horizon announced it will end its planned merger with TD Bank due to wider uncertainty in the sector. The announcement sent shares more than 30% lower. Absolutely fascinating what's going on in uh, the U.S. markets at the moment. Once again, as, as Karen's mentioning, the banks leading these markets lower. The Dow was down 9 tenths for the week. It's down 2.9%. The S&P has lost 2.6% uh, this week. Should we have a look at the Dow year to date now, actually? Very, very interesting chart. Uh, as you can see, look at it. I'll just undo a button for this. Down now, year to date, point zero. It's not down, it's flat. But you see what I'm saying here. It's got a minus back in front of it, having lost all of those previous gains as well. So really interesting looking at that. Um, not getting the prop from the oil price anymore. Yes, the earnings season from Exxon, from Chevron and from the European majors has been very, very strong. A lot of their trading activity has flattered their results as well. But actually, uh, you've got the oil price coming off aggressively. 69 bucks for uh, WTI now. Brent trading with a 72 handle. Now trading roughly 10% below where it was when the Saudis made that surprise uh, cut in production for OPEC Plus or said that the OPEC Plus was going to do it 1.6 million barrels a day on the 2nd of April. We're now 10% below and I think that is absolutely fascinating. What happened to the great thrust northwards uh, from less supply and more demand coming out of the China reopening? Big banks in the United States look like this. Down across the board, Wells down 4.3%, but a two-handle on most uh, of these ones here, Goldman's, Morgan's, uh, and the broader index down that level. Now, there's some really interesting action in the market. We'll take a look at the treasuries now. Steve Leesman sent out a message to the team yesterday saying pretty much along the lines of that there, are ne- there is now expectation in the market of a uh, 60% expectation of a cut, a cut to the Fed's funds rate as early as July, pretty much saying that the last hike was a mistake. I think that is absolutely stunningly fascinating. We're talking in a couple of months time, they think the Fed will be forced into a cut. I find that mind-blowing, given what the Fed has said, given the action we're seeing on the market. But maybe, just maybe, and we can move on to the uh, the, the dollar crosses now as well, maybe today's um, non-farm payroll will be absolutely pivotal. It normally is. And I've seen a great range. Uh, 182,000 jobs created is the medium for that. But actually, just at one end of it, Goldman Sachs is saying 250,000 jobs created. Uh, that 
is way more than the, uh, the medium uh, uh, and average uh, expectation. We believe it will be higher but falling labour demand more than offset continued layoffs in the information and financial uh, sectors as well. So very interesting there. Goldman Sachs at the top end, 250,000 jobs created. But if it is that kind of number as well, which is less than the average of the last three months, it still doesn't see to me to show the impetus for this action we're seeing on expectations of a July rate cut. Absolutely fascinating there. Uh, the pound is 126 now. 126, really tough night for the uh, ruling Conservative Party, actually, in local government elections. That They are normally a barometer of... Um, uh, of, of just showing basically how tough it is for the incumbent party. But it looks like the Tories are having a very, very tough night on that front. Uh, only calls for European indices look like this. So, uh, a bounce is called at the start of trading. Uh, yesterday, once again, we saw uh, the FTSE, the DAX, CAC and the FTSE MIB under a significant amount of pressure. But more focus on the banking sector. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, HSBC shareholders will gather at the bank's annual general meeting in Birmingham today. If you're wondering why Birmingham, it is actually HSBC. SBC's headquarters in the UK. The lenders board has urged investors to reject a proposal to spin off its Asia business, a move that was put forward by a group of retail investors. Emily's been gathering more thoughts on this story in Hong Kong and has more for us now. Emily, good morning to you. Hi there, Jeff, and it is AGM Day for HSBC, and of course this comes just days after it delivered a quarterly report card that blew past expectations with a tripling of pre-tax profits and a resumption of quarterly dividends. Shareholders now set to vote on resolutions calling for a strategic review every quarter to assess a spin-off of its Asian business and for dividends restored to pre-pandemic levels and not less than 51 U.S. cents per year. I sat down with activist shareholder Ken Loy. He's the one who authored resolutions 17 and 18 and I asked him if he was confident his proposals would pass. To me, when I submitted these resolutions, I was very confident that both of them would be passed because they can stimulate the share price to go up. As a shareholder of HSBC, even if you don't support it, you also shouldn't vote against it. Ken says he has Ping-On's backing for his proposals, and while we should see both resolutions get some votes, it is unlikely that either will pass. Uh, they are deemed special resolutions, and what that means is it requires a minimum threshold of 75% of votes cast. Ken has since flown to London and is in Birmingham to attend the AGM in person, which is set to start at 11 o'clock local time. Back to you guys. Yeah, and it's set to be a lively event. As far as I can see, there are a lot of HSBC employees as well who are planning to attend outside to demonstrate over pensions. So it, it will be a bit of a spectacle. But Emily, let me ask you another question here. In terms of the vote, has, has HSBC basically done enough now in terms of performance of the bank, the earnings that were recently delivered to demonstrate that this management team is the right management team and the structure of the bank is the right structure. And that's what they're saying. Of course, it was even in the latest quarterly results, Jeff, uh, where they said that the strategy is delivering and uh, they even 
already delivered in terms of uh, dividends at uh, 10 cents uh, for the first quarter and they're expecting that it's gonna, they're going to be able to uh, pay continue to have capacity uh, to pay a higher dividend uh, in terms of uh, whether or not they've gone out to rally the various shareholders we know that ping on is the largest and they were the ones that came out first april of last year uh, that proposed this idea of an asian spin-off uh, so they can unlock more value and since then they have come out numerous times saying that uh, how this would uh, be a shareholder value destruction uh, and it was even put up on their AGM website the reasons why uh, th that shareholders should be voting against this. Uh, they have asked for shareholders to vote against resolutions 16, 17 and 18. Uh, in recent days Mark Tucker has met with key shareholders uh, pushing back against calls for this restructure. Now when I spoke to Ken I asked him specifically uh, which other institutional investors has he met with? Uh, have you have you heard back from them and who is going to be backing you and all he could say is that he emailed HSBC's top 50 shareholders eight of these institutions replied to him and they even had zoom meetings among them uh, he can only disclose that ping on insurance was one of them uh, the other asset management firms have assets under management of 1.3 trillion 660 billion and 540 billion respectively and these three are the biggest he says he's met them face to face uh, and they he was explaining to him to them the rationale behind his uh, resolution proposals uh, but they did not say whether or not they were going to be siding with him and voting for resolution 17 and 18. According to Ken, Pingon Asset Management will be siding with him and as we know uh, they have just over 8% shareholding in HSBC. Uh, Ken Loy for his part he holds $12.7 million worth of shares in HSBC. Uh, other big names of course as we've been looking at uh, the State Board of Administration of Florida, California Public Employees Retirement System, and Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund are some of the names that are being reported that are going to be backing HSBC. So the AGM set in just a couple of hours from now, 11 o'clock local time. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.